All right, if you will turn with me to Acts chapter 19. This is part two of what we started last week. So we're going to pick up in our text in 35. I'm not going to read the whole text this week like we did last week uh, because I'm going to sum up a little bit in just a second. So if you want to find verse 35 and hold your place there. Um, So last week we talked about this divide in our culture and how deep this divide is uh, and how it is it's being we're being divided as a nation but it's also creeping into the church and so believers are being divided along political lines believers are being divided along philosophical lines um we have so much of a divide i said last week that i don't think we've been this divided since the civil war and i mentioned to you that i've heard of at least one church that has split because the two political sides in the church can't stand to worship with each other. And I think that grieves the heart of God. And so we looked at the text last week where um, Paul is in Ephesus and he's, he's been proclaiming the gospel and it's beginning to take root. And it's a threat to the idols that the people worship. There's, uh, Ephesus was the center for Artemis worship, and there were people who made a wealthy living off of making idols for people to use in their worship. The, The temple of Artemis was one of the things that brought glory to the city, and Demetrius, a silversmith, was quite upset because if the rest of the city runs after Paul and his message, then that is going to put a ruin to their business and to the glory of the city of Ephesus. And so we talked about how when the gospel confronts idols and exposes those or threatens those, what happens most of the time is people begin to aggressively defend their idols. And we all have idols in our hearts. And when those idols are threatened as well or exposed, we tend to aggressively defend them, sometimes by lashing out, sometimes in ways that are not Christ-like in any way, shape, or form. And so, last week we left off with the fact that emotions were running so high in Ephesus because of this threat that the gospel has brought to the idols of the people there. Their emotions were running high, and they gathered together in the theater, and they were screaming, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And I said, if in our culture, especially within the body of Christ, if we are going to be people who are going to bring some kind of reconciliation there, we need to be able to, for the people that you know, we need to be able to kind of identify what are the idols in their hearts that, that they are worshiping so that, one, we have some insight into why they're reacting the way that they are. And two, we need to remember that we have the only message that will bring hope and can bring healing. Today we're going to talk a little bit more about what we can do by looking at the town clerk. So if you are able to stand, would you please stand, honor God as we read his word, starting in Acts 19, verse 35. 
when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you've brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the, and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he'd said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Let's pray. Lord, please give us wisdom, insight, discernment, and the ability to bring reconciliation to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Go and have a seat. All right, so the first thing we're going to talk about as we look at this, the town clerk in, in our text for today is that um, there was a diffusing of the emotion in the moment, or the emotion of the moment. There was diffusing emotion in the moment. The town clerk did three things that I think prevented a riot in Ephesus, and there are three things that you and I could take note of when dealing with people who are running on high emotion and not thinking rationally. The first thing he did was he calmed the emotions, which now this thing, this is the one thing that is a little bit more difficult out of the three things that he did. Um, you, if you are dealing with people that you know and you're trying to talk with them or you're trying to help reconcile some divide between brothers and sisters, people that you know well, then um, I would say pray for God to give you the ability for with the people that you know, you know how they are, you know their personality, pray for God to give you the ability to help calm their emotions. Um, as we see in our text, is evidenced by two hours of angry chanting and high, there's high emotion in the crowd and it gets to, be to the point where it's dangerous. People are angry. People are swept up in that emotion. We talked last week, Luke says two times in the text, not the text before what we read today, two times he says that people did, were confused and they didn't even know why they were there. So there's this core group of people that kind of started all of this, Demetrius and the other tradesmen, craftsmen, but then the emotion spills over into the crowd and people just start gathering and they start, they're angry and they're shouting and they're, they're um, not not listening to people they're not by any means being uh keeping roman peace and they don't even know why most of them and people are not thinking rationally they put a jew named alexander up in front of them so that he could kind of give a defense of i i think to distinguish we're different than this paul guy but the moment they saw him just because he was a Jew, they shouted all the more. And so they're not thinking rationally. They're just thinking and being, they're, they're being driven by their emotions. And the town clerk understood that he wasn't going to be able to accomplish anything while their emotions were running so high. So he, with his, with his townspeople, the people that he 
interacts with on a regular basis, gets them to calm down. One of the things that we could do to get them to calm down is to, we, we need to try to get their mind off of the thing that's causing the emotion to run high. And so um, when, my, when some of my kids were little, we used to watch a show called Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. And my son is going to love that I'm putting this song in his head. Um, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood is a cartoon spinoff of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And so there are all kinds of things to help kids learn how to cope with things in life. And in one episode, Daniel Tiger is so mad because he didn't get his way. And so what his parents are teaching him is they say, when you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath, and everybody takes a breath, count to four and by the time they count to four you can physically see Daniel's anxiety or anger or whatever settle and then he's able to talk rationally with them um, I know it's not going to be cookie cutter like that every time but what they're doing is they're trying to get his mind off of the emotion and get him to focus on something different and so they count with him and he calms down might be a good thing for us to try with people who deal with fear or anxiety or anger issues um, in the midst of what's going on in our culture today. After he calms their emotions, the second thing he does is he finds some common ground with their beliefs. This goes a long way with people. He begins, the clerk begins with a statement that shows the crowd that he understands them. He understands how they're feeling and kind of like to tell them, listen, I'm one of you. I'm on the same page with you in so, in so many regards in this issue. Um, he says to them, we, we all know, everyone in the world knows that Ephesus is the keeper of the temple of Artemis. This is a fact that nobody denies a, around the world. And so he does something to help them understand, I'm identifying with you. I'm listening to you. Your, your, your emotions and the things that you're upset about are not falling on deaf ears. When I was at the hospital, we would frequently have situations where people are dealing with their loved ones that may be on their deathbed, and so we were frequently dealing with situations where people had high emotions, and they were not able, like we couldn't, talk to them. The doctors are trying to talk to them with all the medical jargon. The nurses are trying to help them to, to calm down. And one of the things that we were trained to do as the chaplains were to identify, here's a situation where we need to get them out of the room that they're in, get them away from the team that's been working with them, and get them into a place where you can get their mind off of all that stuff. That This is what's this is what's bringing their emotions to a level that they can't handle it. Remove them from that. And so we'd try to get them out into the hallway or maybe into a little conference room where we could talk. And what we were trained to do was help them know that their, their concerns, the things that, they, that were causing them to be emotionally driven and um, charged, those things are not being ignored because most of the time that happened when people felt like they were, they were asking for something or they were, they were concerned about something and no one was listening to them. And so we would pull them off to the side if we could get them to come and let them know, 
I'm listening to you. I will take all of your concerns to the people that need to hear your concerns. So let's, let's talk in a calm manner. And when we did that, they felt supported and they calmed down. And then we could talk to them rationally. But when people feel alone and they feel trapped in the situation and they feel like they have no control over the situation, much like we see in the text, much like we see in our culture, when that happens, they feel like any control that they have is being taken away. And it's difficult for them to get their emotions calm enough to talk to them about something that's reasonable. So we see that with Demetrius and the other tradesmen. I don't always do this well. Um, In fact, recently it was brought to my attention that I wasn't doing this well and I changed my strategy and after I changed it, emotions calmed down. And so something that we need to keep in mind when we're trying to help other believers who are dealing with the stuff we're dealing with in our culture today. The third thing the town clerk does is that he appealed to their sense of logic. So once he got their emotions calm, and then he made some kind of an effort to help them understand, we're, I'm listening, we're on common ground here. Then he can talk to them logically. And so what he says to them, to reason with them, is he says in verse 36, Don't do anything rash. So now that their emotions are calm, he can be a little more blunt with them. And he says, don't do anything rash. And he explains to them, here's the truth of the situation. We are at high risk right now of having the Roman army come in and put their foot down in a way that will not be beneficial for any of us. Rome prided itself on peace within its its kingdom, its empire, And anyone who disrupted that peace, many times they came in and just slaughtered people. And so the town clerk says, now that their emotions are down, he says, listen, look around at what's happening. This is not a good situation for us. Use the proper tools that we've given you to handle disputes. And I think the best thing right now is for you to just go home. And he got them to settle down, and he got them to leave. People are much more likely to listen to logic when they are emotionally calm. So those are the three things that he did that I think we could take note of. Now, that last one, I want to go into some more detail with you, specifically on what God teaches us in Scripture. These are Scriptures that I think will be helpful for you to keep in mind for your your own self, like if you find yourself getting worked up and getting upset with another believer over any of the stuff in our culture, or if you're trying to help other people to see things logically and rationally, um, these are things that I think would be good to remind them of. So the second point in your notes is that um, truth makes demands on our lives. Because for the believer, our sense of logic is based in truth. So if we're going to be able to talk to people logically about the situation, we find that logic based in truth, truth found in Scripture. So truth makes demands on our life. 
it demands that we examine our lives closely. Examine our lives very closely. Don't, don't sugarcoat what your life is. Look at your life compared to what we see in Scripture and examine it deeply to see what God is wanting to do in your heart. Most people don't want to hear the truth because of its high demands. But if we examine our lives, whether we're talking individually, myself, or as a society, or as a church body, if we truly examine our lives and our culture against the backdrop of Scripture, then it demands that we do a number of things. The first thing is it demands that we change how we think. Demands that we change how we think. We're not to think like the world. God has renewed our minds so that we think like Him, not like the media, not like our friends, not like our politicians, but that we think like Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.14-16 to 16. Paul writes, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the first thing he says is, those who don't belong to Christ, they don't think with the Spirit because they don't have the Spirit. They don't understand the things of the Spirit because they don't have the Spirit. But then he goes on, he says, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Now look at this last thing. But we have the mind of Christ. God has given us the Spirit and given us the mind of Christ so that we think like Jesus, not like those in our culture who influence our thinking. We are to think like Jesus. Romans 12, 2. God says, do not be conformed to this world. You're seeing all this stuff going on around you. It's influencing us, um, whether it's our friends who are... Who are emotionally charged um, <clears throat> or whether it's stuff that we see that we agree with or don't agree with whatever it is we're being influenced by everything around us god says don't be conformed to that stuff but be transformed and here's how by letting my spirit renew your mind and then he says by testing that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So God says, don't act like them, don't think like them. Think like Jesus. Let me renew your mind so that you think like Jesus. And then you will know what my will is. And God's will is always perfect. So it's Truth demands that we change how we think. Truth also demands that we change how we believe. Demands that we change how we believe. We're not to believe the narrative of the world. God has revealed himself to us. Um, He sent Christ to reveal himself to us. He's revealed himself to us in his word. And he's revealed himself to us so that we will understand that the most important thing in life is knowing him. It's not our political views. It's not our election that take place. It's not being right in the midst of debate. It's about knowing him, the most important thing in life. John 17, 3, I read a couple different times in the last month. 
And this is eternal life, Jesus says, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The most important thing you could spend your energy on, the most important thing you can help other believers spend their energy on is to know God. Not in bickering and anger and hatred toward each other. Mark 10, 29 to 31, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So the first thing, before we read that last sentence, the first thing Jesus says is, those things are those things are important. Like family is important. The the things that the things that um, you deal with in this life are important in your life, but they are to never take importance over knowing God. And then he says he clenches this by saying, "Many who are first will be last, and the last first. We we have things so mixed up in our minds in this world because our minds um, want to think like a fallen mind. The things that we think are the most important things in our lives, they might be important things. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not important. It's not saying that you shouldn't consider those things. But the things, but if anything takes precedence over knowing Christ, then it has now become an idol. So it changes, it, it demands that we change how we think. And we need to help other believers understand that. These things that are going on in our world, they are important, but they're not more important than knowing Christ. Uh, the next thing, it, truth demands that we change how we speak. We are not to speak like the world. God wants us to be a source of encouragement to others, not tearing others down because they think differently than we do, but to build up our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Stop right there for a minute. Um, this has been one of the most life-changing verses or passages for me. Let nothing come out of your mouth that is corrupt. Let nothing come out of your mouth that is going to do anything except to build people up. And Paul says that it would give grace to those who hear. You're going to have believers around you. You're going to have non-believers around you. Paul says, if you can't, if you open your mouth and you can't say something that's going to build people up and going to offer grace to anyone who's in your who's in earshot, then you're better off just keep your mouth shut. And so we are not to speak like the world. We're not to tear people down. We are to build people up. And then Paul says this, and I think it's connected to his thought of not tearing people down. It's kind of sandwiched in between two things that are similar. So I think they all go to get all go together. After he says 
no corruption should no corruptive talk should come out of your mouths, but only that's what that which is good for building up. Then he says, "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God that has sealed you for the day of redemption. Do not grieve him. I think when we tear people down, I think we grieve the Holy Spirit now that doesn't doesn't mean you have to agree with them. there are going to be disagreements, but for those who carry it beyond that to tearing people down, we've moved past where God has called us in our witness into grieving the Holy Spirit. And then he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So all of that is about how we interact with people. And Paul says, when you open your mouth, it should be only for the purpose of building people up, for offering grace through your words to other people. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. So specifically here he's talking about people who are not believers. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech, if, you know, as, as you're going to make good use of your time, you're going to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. If you're going to interact with people who are not believers, let your speech Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That answer could be proclaiming the gospel. That answer could be maybe trying to help correct their thinking. But whatever it is, season your words with grace. Next one. Truth demands that we change how we view each other. And I think this one is probably the most important one in the list here. It demands that we change how we view each other. We are not to view each other as does the world. God has made all people in his image. Not all follow him, but he's made all people in his image. Therefore, do not tear down the one made in God's image. Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So all people, male and female, old and young, from our country, from countries around the world, God has made everyone in his image. And we need to remind ourselves of that when we are either ourselves bitterly engaged in uh, tension with other believers or even non-believers or if we're trying to help people who are in that situation we all need to remember that we're dealing with people who are made in God's image this is one reason why I think um, long long before political issues come into play long before anything else let ju- just the concept of never seeing somebody and only interacting over the internet is a terrible thing because you forget that the people that are responding are people made in God's image. You're not looking at them face to face. So we're not to view people like the world does. We're supposed to understand that that person is made in God's image. Ephesians 6.12, for we do not, and, and this, I think, is, this is probably the most important verse that we're going to look at today. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Again, when we're not looking at somebody face to face, it's easier to forget that they are not the enemy. They may think differently than we do. We may think that their ideas are terrible. We may have an idea of what we think is best for our country, and they may have an idea that we think is going to run our country in the ground. But we need to remember that we're, our battle is not against them. When people are persecuting us, our battle is not against the people persecuting us. Our battle is on the spiritual realm against Satan and those who are his servants who do his work. Our battle is against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers that are over this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's, it's on the spiritual realm. It bleeds through into the physical realm in many ways. But our battle is against that, not against people. Next one. Truth demands that we change how we live. It demands that we change how we live. We are not to live like the world. Our lives, and this is something that's hard for Americans, our lives are not our own. But rather, we are to live for the glory of the one who gave us life. Now, again, how I feel, things, things in my life, and how I feel about those things, that's important. I'm not saying it's not. But it does not override my call to be Christ-like. How I feel is important, but it does not override my call to be Christ-like. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, and then 19b to 20a. Paul says, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So, first of all, if you belong to Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, you become one spirit with him. And then he says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. God purchased our lives with the blood of his Son. And so I no longer get to be in control of my life. If I'm going to trust in Christ's sacrifice for my sins to be forgiven and to be able to go to heaven and live with him for all of eternity in his presence, then I no longer get to be boss and be in charge of my own life. Christ is now the one in charge of my life. And that leads into the last one, that truth demands that we acknowledge God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is what, what I submit to in my life. So, the town clerk was able to calm their emotions so he could speak with them and connect with them and help them understand he's one of them, he's, uh, he's on the same page with them. So connect with them somehow, because when you connect with them, then all of a sudden their defenses let down a little bit. And then he was able to speak the truth that they needed to hear. He, needed, he was able to speak rational um, truth into their lives and get them to leave. We can do the same thing whether we are engaged in a situation like that or we are trying to help other believers who are engaged in a situation like that and the way we do that 
is we remember the truth that we see in God's word that we went in depth in today. And so I hope those are helpful for your own life and as you interact with other believers who are on different sides of this divide. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus and the ministry of reconciliation he's given us. And I thank you for the, your word that we can look at and we can see that you call us to not imitate the world. Paul says, imitate me because I imitate Christ. So as we imitate Christ, I pray that you would change our thinking, that you would help us to know how to help other people change their thinking and that there would be healing in your church today because there's a divide, a wound in your church today that is there not because of godly reasons. The church is not being divided because some are saying, I stand on the essentials of the gospel and others are saying, I stand on what I want to stand on. It's not that. It's a wound that has been inflicted because of secondary things that take back seat to our walk with you. And so we want to be healing agents. We want to, first of all, not have any of those idols in our own heart that are threatened. And then we want to be a healing agent. We want you to use us to heal and bring reconciliation and close that divide so that your body is one again for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.